Thank you, choir, orchestra. Let's suppose you were to go home and this evening turn on your television. Your favorite newscaster comes on, beginning the newscast, and he announces that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has declared that your right to vote came from God and therefore we should elect Christians to office. He reads, divine providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Let's say that his next story said that many of the states had declared that if one was going to be elected to public office, they must confess their faith in God. And he reads, I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. And then he comes to the third story and announces that Congress has determined that the Bible should be used in public schools as a textbook. He reports the Congress of the United States approves of and recommends the Holy Bible for use in the schools. I would imagine if those three stories were reported, the phone lines of the television station would light up and that immediately the ACLU would file a lawsuit. And yet each statement is historically accurate and factual. It was John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and one of the authors of the Constitution who wrote, it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. As far as the states requiring a confession of faith for those who hold public office, that was Delaware along with many other states who required that same confession. In 1782, Congress approved the use of the Bible in schools as a textbook and they used taxpayer money to pay for those Bibles. That was challenged in 1844 and the Supreme Court ruled why should not the Bible and especially the New Testament be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools. Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? I have always known that the United States is a product of our relationship to God. A few years ago, Reverend Charles Jackson and I were in Washington, D.C. We went on a tour of the Capitol with David Barton. And as I listened to this historian, I was absolutely amazed at how intertwined our Christian faith is 
in our America experience. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 33, beginning in verse number 10. The psalmist records, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. America has been blessed with a godly foundation which is evidenced by our history. Those first settlers who came to this land came with a commitment to God. They were people who knew God and they were committed to God. The Mayflower Compacts states that those early, early settlers who came to America in 1620 came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That was those first settlers that came to this country. They came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. The first public building that was built in this country was a church built by those settlers. The first public assembly that was held in this country was a worship service in that church. When the people suffered, the times were hard. They would gather together in that church, cry out to God asking for mercy. And during those times that were good and crops were bountiful, they would assemble in that church and thank God for his blessings. In 1643, more settlers came to America and they formed the New England Confederation. They wrote the first constitution in this new land, which began, whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. That was the early settlers. Those were the people who first came in faith to this land. But then things began to change. There's about 150 years between the arrival of those early settlers and the formation of this nation. During that time, the settlers died and many of their principles were compromised by their descendants. The descendants of those early settlers were more interested in gold than in God. They were more interested in their own pursuits rather than the pursuits of God. It sounds very similar to our own day. I hear people oftentimes say that Americans vote their pocketbook in a presidential election. That's largely true. In the last election, it is reported that 45% of evangelicals saw economic issues as more important than moral issues. So when I look at what happened, those settlers who came to this land and their descendants who followed them there began to be this moral decline. It was also added to by England. 
During this time, England had a program in which they sent their prisoners to the New World as indentured servants. It was a way of taking the people they didn't want and send them to the New World. England's politics also contributed to the spiritual slippage in the New World. In 1773, Pennsylvania passed a law that would help bring slavery to an end. King George III vetoed that legislation. He said that America is a part of the British Empire. Therefore, America too will have slavery. During that 150 years, the time between the arrival of those early settlers and the formation of this nation, religious fervor had largely died in America. In 1730, only 10% of the citizens in those colonies attended church anywhere. The faith, the dreams of those early settlers was lost during that 150 year period. But then an amazing thing happened. A spiritual hunger began to sprout from the roots that were planted by those early settlers. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley were used of God to usher in the Great Awakening. You probably have read about the Great Awakening in this country. It revolutionized America. Tens of thousands of people turned to God, to faith in Jesus Christ. Those preachers went out into the fields. They went to the town squares. And they boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ. People came under conviction and tens of thousands were saved. What is not known by a lot of people is that our founding fathers, the founding fathers of America were greatly impacted by the preaching of those men. Benjamin Franklin reports, it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. When I thought about that scene, I thought, would you not love to see that? That when you go home and go for a walk and walk by the houses in your neighborhood, to hear moms and dads and children gathering together, singing praises to God. That's what happened then. And you see, the Great Awakening was the catalyst for the American Revolution. The generation that experienced the Great Awakening became the leaders of the American Revolution. Those who experienced the Great Awakening became the leaders of the American Revolution that took place. Political science professors at the University of Houston did a 10-year study to determine what were the influences on those founding fathers? What was it that influenced them? They documented 
15,000 quotes during this period. And they determined that 94% of those quotes were inspired by the Bible. You see, there was, there, was a, there was a spiritual revival. There was a great awakening, and it impacted the founding fathers. John Adams declared, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew and the Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper were two of the individuals most conspicuous, the most ardent and influential in the awakening and revival of American principles and feelings that led to our independence. That is a part of our history that is largely lost today, that is not reported today. That this country was founded on a spiritual foundation, on a belief in the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. America's foundational documents reflect our Christian heritage, our relationship to the Lord. The prologue to the Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Those rights that we treasure, those rights that have made us Americans, are not given to us by the president. They are not given to us by Congress. And they are not given to us by the Supreme Court. They are given to us by God. You see, here's the problem. If the government gives us our rights, then the government can take from us our rights. That is the reason our founding fathers said that those rights are given to us by God. I know that students are taught the primary motivation for the Declaration of Independence was taxation without representation, and certainly that was a part of it, but it was only a part. There were spiritual concerns that prompted the Declaration of Independence. It was born out of a recognition of God they knew that there was a God, those founding fathers who wrote the Declaration of Independence believed that there was a God, and so they wrote, we therefore the representatives of the United States in general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world. It was a recognition that there is a God. There was a reliance upon that God, they declared, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The Declaration of Independence was motivated by belief in God, by a reliance upon God, and a response of reverence to God. During those days as they debated, and they did debate, as they debated, they also prayed. Silas Dean said the time of prayer and scripture reading was so powerful that even Quakers shed tears. Can you imagine that? That Congress is considering some of the issues facing them. 
and with a recognition of God and a reliance upon God, they go to their knees in prayer seeking God, having such a reverence for God. The Declaration of Independence came that way. The Constitution also has a biblical basis. Have you ever wondered where did the three branches of government come from? Where did the idea come from? We have an executive branch, a legislative branch, a judicial branch. Where did that idea come from? Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, judicial. The Lord is our lawgiver, legislature. The Lord is our king, executive. The Supreme Court in 1892 wrote, Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based on and must include the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible for it to be otherwise. To this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. And ladies and gentlemen, the Constitution was written in a way to protect our religious freedom. That's the reason the First Amendment, not the Second, not the Third, not the Fourth, but the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The government has no right to forbid your worship. It has no right to forbid the worship of its citizens. The government has no right to forbid your witness, you telling others about Jesus Christ. And the government has no right to command disobedience. And yet it seems today that government has forgotten that. That is the reason that the freedom of conscience has been so important that we are going to stand before God and therefore we have the freedom of conscience and our forefathers believed that. And our Constitution was written to protect that. And yet those in Washington largely today seem to have forgotten that. America has been blessed with a godly foundation. Founders who believed in God. Documents who acknowledged God. But ladies and gentlemen, the fact is the continued blessings of God are conditional. You'll notice in verse number 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. God's blessings are conditional. Sometimes we sing so glibly, God bless America, and I wonder why in heaven's name should he? There are requirements. There are some things that we have to do. We have a part in this. And God isn't going to just, as you sang just a while ago, God isn't going to continue to bless our sin whenever we sin against him, when we ignore his word, when we turn away from righteousness. There are conditions. First of all, I believe there has to be a reverence for God. In verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, The word fear speaks of reverence. And our founding fathers had reverence for God. You you read their writings and you'll know that they had such a reverence for God. They, They reverenced his majesty. He was God. 
He was God Almighty who stands above. They reverenced his majesty. They reverenced his judgment. They knew that he was a holy God. And that one day they were going to stand before him. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I one day will stand before a holy God. So when, when I look at the founding fathers and I see what the psalmist wrote, they reverence God. We must have a reverence for God. They were dependent upon him. Verse number 16. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Verse 21, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. You see, if we're going to continue to enjoy the blessings of God, then we must be dependent upon God. I read the story of Hezekiah and Israel was being attacked by Assyria, the Assyrians. He cried out to God, asking God for his deliverance. He looked at God, and God delivered them. One of my favorite stories is the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and he was surrounded, they were surrounded by their enemy. And the response of Jehoshaphat I would like to see today, he, he called the people together. The men, the women, the children, called them all together. And he went to God in prayer, and as he prayed, he said, God, we don't know what to do. We're standing here before you. We look to you. And God gave them a great victory because their dependence was upon him. Folks, I remember in my own lifetime, and many of you do as well, when America would face some issue or they faced some crises. And the President of the United States would go before the American people and call them to prayer. That happened repeatedly in our past. The President of the United States go and ask the people to pray, both Democrat and Republican. Ask the people to pray because they recognized and reverenced God and they were dependent upon God. If God is going to bless America, we must reverence him. We must be dependent upon him. Not on the treaties that we make, not how much money we have in the bank. But our dependence needs to be on him. And then America has to repent of sin. If God is going to bless America, then we have to repent of our sin, just as we sang. And that's what Second Chronicles says. We have to humble ourselves, turn from our arrogance, Become humble before him. We don't have a lot of humility before God anymore, do we? And yet in Chronicles it says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. It is an humbling before God. We need to be on our knees before God. Humble before him. And pray. Are we really praying for America, to, for God to send a revival to America? I read the story during the American Revolution. The Continental Army had suffered several severe setbacks. 
There was a farmer who lived near the battlefield where Washington and his troops were. He wandered down there one day and then he came back home and he said to his wife, everything's going to be okay. He said, we're going to win. She said, how do you know that? And he said, I heard General Washington pray today. God will surely hear and answer that kind of prayer. I heard General Washington pray. We're going to be okay. Folks, if we're going to be okay, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to turn to the Lord. We're going to have to get on our knees, humbling ourselves before Him. But we're going to have to pray and repent of our sin. And then the Bible says that we have hope in God. If you look at verse number 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in thee. America's been blessed in its founding with a godly foundation. The settlers who first came to this land were godly men and women. But our future is fragile just as it was during that 150-year period. This is the most fragile time for America in my lifetime, at least in my opinion. There might have been threats that are more obvious to us, but I think the threat we face today is a threat in the soul. It is a threat of the heart. And so our future is fragile. And faith is critical. Humbling before God, crying out to Him. I'm going to ask you today, if you will join with me for a moment in prayer, really pray for America. I'm going to ask that some of you, not all of you, because you can't, but I'm going to ask a lot of you, just get out in the aisles, get on your knees before the Lord, and ask God if he will send another great awakening, that if he would revive our land again. So for just a couple of minutes, would you do that with me? You just get out up in the balcony, wherever you are. You just get out, get on your knees. You who need to stay in the pews, you stay in the pews. But let's pray and ask God to revive America again.
sing with me. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I God to send revival to our nation. But we want to take a moment. What about you? Individually, what about you? My friend, if you're here without Jesus Christ, I recommend him to you. And ask today that you commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. But as individuals, we must also get right with the Lord. So we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I trust that you will respond to God. As the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.